Welcome to The Health Shot with Sabina and Tony. I'm Sabina Asherova, a second year studying economics and business analytics. Hey everyone, my name is Tony Tawanyarat. I am a fourth year studying economics and biology. So health disparities are a really big issue here in America. Someone who sums up this issue of disparities in health outcomes for African-American women is John Oliver in his episode of Bias in Medicine last week tonight with John Oliver. He shares that 34% of African-Americans are less likely to receive opioids as pain medication when when raising concerns of severe pains than their white counterparts are. He also shares a lot more statistics and some interesting backstories that we're just going to play for you all today. This woman who was diagnosed with lupus described how she was impacted by the response from doctors when she sought pain treatment. It was just this belief that I was making things up, that what I was saying wasn't real, that I must be seeking drugs or selling the drugs or some such thing. Is that really what people would, that's that's what you were getting? In the oh yeah, office. absolutely, absolutely. And so what happens is you start to develop a, a ton of fear around going to the doctor. Yeah, of course you'd be frightened to go to the doctor if you thought they'd treat you like a drug dealer. I'm terrified of them, and the worst thing doctors ever say to me is, Mr. Oliver, you're 42, and you should no longer need to be bribed with a lollipop to get a flu shot. But I want one. I want a wowie pop. I've been very brave. Give me a wowie pop. And look, look, I'm not saying that all doctors are racist or sexist, because they obviously aren't. But people have biases, and doctors are people and they may have come up in a system that intentionally or not has often discounted the experiences of a major portion of the population. You know, from, from our background research and the things that we've talked about in class, the political factors, socioeconomic factors, environmental, environmental all play into this disparity that is so pressing in America today. So let's go into talking about some of the main causes for um, these disparities. You know, when it comes to these causes that we see in society, beyond just looking at race and ethnicity and different demographics, um, your typical individual already faces issues with healthcare access when it comes to availability, accessibility, acceptability, affordability, and even accommodation of each of their um, individual needs. But then, you know, specifically when we're talking about individuals such as black African-American women, um, this might also stem from more deep issues such as institutional discrimination, um, lack of resources due to um, past um, situations that they have to have incurred compared to other racial groups um, in the country or you know, in also other nations. Yeah, I think race is definitely one of the biggest factors that plays into this because when you look at income comparisons when you're talking about you know african-american celebrities or women who are wealthy and have the resources they still continue to face this discrimination when they are seeking health care treatments their concerns are constantly not being taken seriously especially during childbirth um, and it's really crazy to see how um, systematic and really ingrained this issue is and what's worse is that even though this is systematic and ingrained it's also a concept that's constantly perpetuated. I remember, you know, a couple semesters ago, I took a course in sociology, and we talked about 
and again, um, discrimination, different races. You know, certain areas where individuals grow up, like geographically, they're isolated and they're, you know, we, we've heard about food deserts, but there's also medical deserts. Some of these areas, physicians aren't even able to access or even want to access these areas to offer that care and it really puts them at a disadvantage. Yeah, definitely. And there's also just, you know, a lot of students who are going into medical school, Tony, I'm sure you mm -hmm. will be able to speak to this exactly. in a few, a few years from now after your experience in medical school. They're not particularly trained on how to combat these personal biases that they have because in medical school you're taught specific stereotypes of how to deal with problems, certain, certain, certain situations, situations of um, certain protocols. Exactly. But, you know, drawing back on my past experiences at, um, in my undergrad, I've also taken this course in the public health department, um, Health System Science with Dr. Green, and he's done a really good job of really opening the eyes up to, like, you know, students who want to pursue a health profession major or, you know, a profession um, in that field where we see the typical pillars of basic sciences, clinical medicine, but really adding in that third pillar of health system science, understanding how the healthcare industry and organization works, and also the socioeconomic and other social determinants that affect how a doctor may see or treat or, you know, offer a prognosis to a patient, which is very, you know, important to these. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of the discrimination that happens is just very indirect. It's not like people are always out to be racist or sexist. But from the way that their brain has been programmed for so many years, they just connect the dots of certain things and biases, and it just kind of prompts this uh, causal effect of them reaching a specific conclusion that they, their brain has been programmed to reach for many, many years. And their biases, explicit or implicit, have life or death consequences. And there's perhaps no starker expression of where sex and race can negatively impact healthcare outcomes than maternal mortality. Currently, the United States has the highest rate of maternal mortality in the developed world, which is already terrible but it gets even worse for black women. If you're a woman of color in this country, especially if you're black, your odds of dying in childbirth are three to four times higher on average in our country. Why? Because you're not talking about access to healthcare. You're not talking about money or education. No, and this is gonna be hard to hear. We believe black women less when they express concerns about the symptoms they're having, particularly around pain. Yeah, and that is hard to hear but it is worth really underscoring what he just said there. These racial disparities exist even when you control for socioeconomic factors like education or insurance status. We are literally disbelieving black women to death. And that is appalling enough in theory, but it's heartbreaking in practice. Take Kira Johnson, who gave birth to a son only for things to go horribly wrong. Her husband said that she waited hours for a CT scan, and by the time doctors took the situation seriously, it was too late. She died in surgery, and to this day, her husband wonders what he could have done differently. I sit awake at nights thinking, man, like maybe I should have grabbed somebody by their collar, right? Maybe I should have turned the table over, right? Would that have made a difference? I definitely thought about the whole issue of, I, I didn't want to be seen not only as angry, but an angry black man, right? I'm not the smallest guy in the world, um, and, what that would mean and how we would be perceived and how we would be treated as a result of that perception. When this first happened, I would get the question a lot, well, do you think it was because she was black? Do you think it would be different if Kira was white or was a different color? 
And the way I answer that question is, the simple fact that you have to ask that question is a problem. It's so unfortunate to constantly see um, these statistics and these stories of African-American women being affected by the system where they're constantly either losing their own life or the life of their child. And especially that case study that John Oliver talked about was really hard to hear, I think, because of the fact that it addresses uh, when you're accounting for socioeconomic status, when you're accounting for other factors, the one that stands out most in these cases is the race factor. And I think one of the interesting case studies that we're going to cover later today with our special guest is really focusing in on the implications for middle class African American women and how their experience is extremely different from those who are white or even Latinx um, and the way that they constantly have to think about whether or not going to the doctor is the right decision for them because it often feels like they're going into battle with the healthcare system every day and whether or not they will get the right diagnosis. And recently I was just thinking about how from my own experiences as a uh, Asian woman, how when I go to the doctor and oftentimes do experience misdiagnoses as well, how much worse it is for an African-American woman if um, you know they keep constantly having their their concerns um, thrown under the rug and they keep to have to constantly come back and deal with the same issues over and over again how awful of an experience that is and honestly coming from you know myself wanting to be in the healthcare profession I feel like it's our duty in a sense you know when it comes to offering healthcare there's already so many barriers that we see when it comes to the monetary, financial, you know, accessibility of healthcare. To have these kind of issues cause another, you know, example of why an individual may be hesitant to seek healthcare is just, in my opinion, very not acceptable. Definitely, and our our healthcare system has a long way to go to ensure that it is inclusive and accessible, and that we are working to fix these issues. This is definitely a big systematic issue and there's only so much that we can do from an individual standpoint um, to mitigate some of these issues that our African-American women face here today. But now let's hear from an expert and see exactly what Dr. Tina Sachs thinks about um, our, our healthcare system and what we can do to improve these issues for African-American women. Hi, Dr. Sachs, this is Sabina Ashrova. Hi, Sabina, how are you? I'm doing well, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We have a list of questions that we wanted to kind of get your thoughts on. Also, Tony Tawanyarat is Yes, hi, I'm Tony Tawanyarat. It's very nice to meet you. <laughs> so, well, thank you for reaching out to me. Um, I'm happy to answer your question, which was um, about how I got interested in this. Um, what motivated me to study the issue was my own experience, which is sort of, so I come from a, um, an interracial, interfaith family, so my mother is a black woman from Mississippi who grew up in the Jim Crow South and who came to Chicago as part of the Great Migration in the 1950s. And 
my father is um, a white Jewish man. Both of my grandparents were from uh, what is now Belarus, so they were born in a, a shtetl outside of Minsk. And so I have this kind of background in which I really could see that, you know, my father is a first-generation immigrant. My mother also um, essentially was a, was a forced migrant in her own country. And I really started to see the ways in which, although both of their people had essentially been forced to leave a, a particular kind of circumstance, that their outcomes were quite different. And so I became really interested, especially when I was a... Um, when I was in college, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer, and that really piqued my interest. Of course, I was very worried about her, but I also kind of began to see how she was treated when she went to the doctor, how difficult it was for her to advocate on her own behalf, and that kind of set me on a long trajectory of um, studying social work and health policy, going to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and working in the public health sphere going back to get my PhD and then eventually landing here at Berkeley um, as a professor. Um, we've also talked about this concept in class called cultural health capital. Um, would you mind um, speaking upon this concept as well and how it really relates? Sure. So the idea of cultural health capital is really that in order to be taken seriously at the doctor, you have to possess a certain kind of capital, which is a certain way of talking about your body or talking about your health condition. Um, it's being able to go to the doctor and, and provide a very succinct, rational summary of what you think is wrong or your, your chief complaint. It also means that you have the ability to think about your body um, as sort of a something that you can exercise control over, that you have dominion over your body, meaning that you can do certain kinds of exercise, you can um, eat certain things, that you have that ability, that level of control over your body and what it will do for you, and that you can exercise that control based on the recommendations of a healthcare provider. So if the provider tells you you need to exercise 30 minutes a day or whatever, that you're going to be able to do that. And so it's a certain kind of capital that you need to have when you go to the doctor. And there, there definitely there's some research to suggest that the physicians expect you to be able to talk about your body and control your body in the way that they think is rational and important and if you can't do that then they might be more likely to dismiss you or dismiss your concerns. Thank you and I just have a follow-up question to that. I'm just curious to see would you believe that maybe race or gender matching these concordance rates within the doctor-patient relationship could that be somewhat sort of a solution or could the problem be so embedded that something like that wouldn't really make a difference? So I think the issue of providing or of ensuring that the healthcare workforce is reflective of the, the kind of demographic composition of the United States, I certainly think that's important. I think it's, I would never say that it, it, it's not a good idea to have more, um, you know, racial, ethnic, and other kinds of diversity in the healthcare um, arena. But I don't think that's that's enough. So I think it's important, um, and in sort of in, in uh, social science speak, we we say that's a necessary but insufficient condition mm -hmm. to improve things. 
So I think it, because it's a, such an entrenched problem, also the way pro, um, medical uh, students and, and physicians are trained, as well as other healthcare providers are trained, they're trained to actually focus quite a bit on the race of the patient. And so without really thinking about the ways in which racism actually produces the differences we see, it's not race that is the problem, it's racism. And those are very different things. So yes, provide having more people that you know, are diverse in different kind of uh, domains is important, but insufficient to change this. And we also read your commentary regarding Serena Williams, um, one of the best female um, tennis players in the world and her experience with the healthcare system. How do you think the experience of African-American celebrities or those of upper middle class um, differ from those who are low income or middle class? Do they still experience severe disparities in health outcomes? I think, again, you know, Serena's case is sort of illustrative of the problems that all, all black women face in the healthcare encounter. Mm-hmm. I couldn't say necessarily if they are um, necessarily, you know, the, like I didn't study black celebrities, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I don't know about the ways in which they, like how they go about their healthcare encounter. But I think what is important about the Serena case is that in spite of the fact that she is probably, I mean, she is arguably among the best athletes of all time, any sport, male, female, et cetera, et cetera, she was still not taken seriously in, in the healthcare encounter. She's telling them, I have, I have this feeling, I think I have this, I need you to provide me with this diagnostic tool and this kind of a drug. And they refused her and refused her and refused her. And clearly, if there's anyone who probably knows their body well, it's, it's someone who is literally using it every single day as a, as a tool, like if, if that's her instrument, right? So Definitely. I think what her case, and also the case of Beyonce, that you know, Beyonce also had some severe um, pregnancy complications. I think what it indicates is, is the, the ways in which um, black women are just not taken very seriously in the healthcare encounter, even when they say, this is what's happening to me, take me seriously, listen to me. And we see that across for all women that that is the case and for certain groups of women and you know racial and ethnic minorities and immigrant women women who don't speak english well that's even more of a problem definitely how do you think a regular person not in the medical field um, not in policy can support their friends or loved ones in addressing this problem i think the first thing is to understand how systemic it is and that um, if we really want to do something about this, we need to do something about the social determinants of health and the structural determinants of health. And those things are things like, you know, providing um, equal access to health care for everyone, providing housing for people, providing child care for people who have children. Those kinds of things would go a long way in actually moving the needle on health disparities writ large. So that's kind of the, the, the overarching um, answer, I think. The, the secondary answer in terms of what people can do at the individual level or with their friends or family is bear witness for them. Go to the doctor with your family members or your friends. Help them write down questions ahead of time that they want to have answered. Um, particularly if the person is in an acute situation or in a life-threatening situation, the way you can best help them is to go with them, 
be their eyes and ears, speak up for them if they can't speak up, and don't be afraid to agitate on their behalf. Because we don't provide health insurance to people, because we don't provide um, universal access to education, childcare, or housing, we are going to have these kinds of problems. And trying to intervene by, you know, having somebody go to the doctor with their friends, it's not enough. We need to attack the root causes of these problems. Definitely. Those are all of the questions that we have. Thank you so much um, for giving us your thoughts and suggestions. Wow, Sabina. We have quite a lot of information that we covered today on our podcast, haven't we? Yeah, we definitely have. We hope that this shot of health for the day has given you some energy and knowledge that you can take with you to be more aware of the issues that African-American women in America face every day. advocate for those in your community. Thanks for tuning in.